0: we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I'd like for you to take God's Word and go with me into the New Testament, if you would. And we go to the gospel according to Matthew in the ninth chapter, Matthew chapter number nine. And if you are just joining us, we have been in the gospel according to Matthew in recent days, just looking at this theme, follow, what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, to be his disciple. And as we've come to the ninth chapter, uh, we've noted some things this past week. In fact, uh, this past Lord's Day when we met together. The challenge of the Lord Jesus that he gave to those who questioned him concerning his appearance or his meeting with publicans and sinners at a banquet that Matthew hosted, Matthew was a publican, he was the most notorious, the most hated, the most reviled sinner in Capernaum and yet Jesus called him and we learned that the Lord Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. All of us have the same problem, it may manifest itself in different ways and it does but we all have the same problem. That problem is sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And as the Apostle Paul said, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And I'm glad he came to save me. Amen. And I stand before you as a sinner who has been called by Christ to follow him. And I have answered that call. But I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning And I pray that all of us are learning to follow him and what it means to follow him. Uh, We noted in Matthew 4, as we began this study, the the call to follow Christ. And then we noted in, in Matthew chapter number 8 that as we follow Christ, sometimes we're going to enter into the storm. And the Lord Jesus will lead us into storms. But thank God he doesn't leave us there, amen? Amen. He leads us through them, and in the midst of them, he teaches us many things about himself. And we saw that in Matthew 8, and then last week, go and learn. That was his message to those who questioned him and to his disciples. Go and learn, go and learn what it means that the Lord Jesus came as the great physician to minister to the needs of those who were sick. Because the Pharisees, that was the religious crowd, uh, they fancied themselves as righteous based on their own works. And as far as they were concerned, they didn't have any sin. And uh, of course, we know that wasn't true. And so the Lord Jesus spoke to them. And I'm glad that he is a friend of publicans and sinners. So as we come now to Matthew chapter nine, we look in verse 36. <clears throat> Matthew chapter number nine in verse 36. The Bible said, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted. They were weary. They were tired. They fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherds. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I want you to notice the first three words we find in verse number eight, pray ye therefore. I want to speak to you on this subject this morning, the disciples' prayer. The disciples' prayer. What is the Lord Jesus doing in the lives of these disciples? Well, he is teaching them to pray. He's teaching them to pray about what is important to him. I want you to think about the prayers that we pray and the subject of those prayers Usually, it revolves around some need in our lives. Maybe it's a financial need, a health need, a a need for one of our children or grandchildren, a need in the life of someone that we love, perhaps a struggle in a relationship or wisdom for a particular situation in our lives, and we often come to God in prayer seeking his aid, seeking him. We are asking the Lord to take note of what is important to us and to intervene on behalf of our need. And by the way, I'm glad that we have a God who cares about what's important to us. And I'm glad that he intervenes in our lives to meet our needs. But this isn't the kind of prayer that the Lord Jesus is encouraging his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 9. Instead of asking the disciples to pray about what is important to them, he commands the disciples to pray about what is important to him. I think that's the kind of help we need if we're going to pray effectively, don't you? We need to find out what is important to God and we need to pray about the things that are important to him. Now in this ninth chapter, the Lord Jesus has been involved in a a very busy season of ministry in Galilee. In verses one through eight, we see that Jesus healed the man who was sick of the palsy. He was a paralytic man. He healed him and he said, to him your sins are forgiven Of course that was met with much disdain by the Pharisees and the scribes in verses 9 through 13 we have the record of the call that Jesus Christ extended uh, to Matthew that he would follow him and of course that received much criticism from the Pharisees in verses 14 through 17 Uh, the Lord Jesus answers the question of the disciples of John who wanted to ask him about fasting. In verses 18 through 19, he is entreated by a man named Jairus to raise his dying daughter from the dead. Along the way, Jesus stops to question a woman who had come behind the press and touched the hem of his garment and been healed of her issue of blood. Afterwards, the Lord Jesus continues till he arrives at Jairus' home, and there he raises his daughter from the dead. In verses 27 through 31, we read that Jesus gave sight to two blind men. And in verses 32 through 34, Jesus delivered a man possessed of a devil who was unable to speak. And Jesus delivered him from that demonic oppression and therefore he was healed and able to speak. In Matthew chapter nine and verse 35, we find a summary of all of this activity. I'd like for you to note it with me. Matthew nine and verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages. Imagine all the towns, all the local places in, in, in this portion of North Carolina, Jesus went to all of them. Of course, he's not in North Carolina. He's in Galilee. But he's visiting all the cities and the villages. And what is he doing there? Well, he's teaching in their synagogues. He's going into the synagogues. He's opening the Old Testament scriptures. And he is teaching them the truth of who he is as the Old Testament scriptures revealed him. What else is he doing? He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. He is healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now, I want you to know that Jesus was not on just a medical crusade. He wasn't trying just simply to wipe out disease. He was ministering to people. And there were people who had disease. There were people who were oppressed and and possessed by devils. There were people who were struggling and and people who had broken homes and broken lives and Jesus came to minister to them. In Matthew chapter nine and verse number 12, when answering the criticism of the Pharisees, Jesus said this, he said, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. You see, the Pharisees questioned the disciples and said, Why does your master eat with publicans and sinners? Why, why in the world would he go to such people and socialize with them? And Jesus answered them directly and he said, Wait a minute, I'm the great physician. I've come, I have come to, to save souls. I've come to deliver people from sin and oppression. But unless you recognize that you're a sinner in need of a savior, I can't help you. But these publicans and these sinners, they know they're sinners and they know they need me and that's why they came to me. You see, this is the purpose that Jesus came and he's revealing that purpose to his disciples. That's why he said, go and learn. And now speaking to them about that purpose, he's talking to them how that they can participate in the fulfillment of his purpose through their prayer life. Uh, so much, so often we struggle with our prayer life, do we not? We, we have a tendency to, to rehearse the same prayers, the same requests over and over, uh, to recite what's important, as I said earlier, to us. But if we want life back into our prayer life, then we're gonna have to learn about what's important to God and begin to pray with his heart Concerning his purpose for this world. And so may God help us to pray in a fashion that is consistent with his purpose. Now, I want you to note three things as we think about the disciples' prayer. Three things that compel us to pray. First of all, number one, the compassion of Christ compels us to pray. The compassion of Christ compels us to pray. I want you to look again at verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. What happened in the heart of the Lord Jesus? He saw the multitudes. By the way, he had seen them throughout eternity past. But the emphasis of the scripture is to help us understand that as he is going among the people, he is looking at them. He is seeing the needs of their lives. The disciples can't go anywhere in Galilee without a great throng pressing upon Jesus. Somebody needs healing. Somebody has a problem. Somebody's oppressed with the devil. Somebody has a situation and they need Jesus. And all along as we've read from chapter four of the gospel according to Matthew under this ninth chapter, we have seen one person after another coming to Jesus. And what we find is that Jesus sees them. And I want you to know he sees you. There are people in this auditorium this morning I've never met. There are many people in this auditorium that I know. I have, because I know you, I have some knowledge of some of the concerns in your life, some of the issues that you're facing, some of the difficulties that you've been dealing with. I want you to know that no matter who you are, God knows you, he sees you, he cares about you, he understands what is happening in your life, and God feels compassion for you. The Bible said that Jesus was moved with compassion. That means inwardly he was moved. His heart was affected. The words here, moved with compassion, speak of an inward stirring of his heart to feel deeply or viscerally. In other words, his nervous system was affected by his groaning, by his compassion by his identification with the suffering of the people that he had come to minister to. And I want you to know that that same Lord Jesus sees you and he sees those who are not inside this building, those who are not watching online today, who don't know him, he sees them and he's moved with compassion toward them. This week our world is watched in horror as more than 28,000 souls have perished in the rubble in the aftermath of the earthquake and the aftershock of that earthquake in Turkey. The images are horrific and they're heartbreaking. I saw two that stand out. One was of a man trapped inside the building, the rubble on top of him and the rubble below him. He was on a mattress. Apparently a worker had gotten to him with a camera where at least he could identify where this person was. And as the man lay there on the mattress pinned underneath the concrete, he had the hand of his wife and she had died. He held her hand. I saw another image of a father who had managed to get outside of the rubble, but his child had not. And only the hand of the child was visible and the father was grasping hold of his child's hand. Another picture I saw was of a man who, whose mother was behind him. She's still pinned in the wreckage, and nobody had gotten to her. He was weeping and mourning. I saw this morning that a ten-year-old child, six days after the earthquake, was pulled out of the rubble. I believe it would have been this morning, our time. What tragedy! We think we have problems this morning, don't we? These are people who have great trouble. But do you know what's more tragic than dying in an earthquake? Being pinned in the wreckage? Losing loved ones? What's more tragic than that is to go into eternity without Christ into a place where there's no hope, a place called hell a place of eternal suffering and a place of eternal torment. And I want you to know that our concern ought to be for the souls of the men and women and the children of the nation of Turkey, that God would send laborers into that harvest field, that the gospel would be proclaimed. Certainly we want lives saved and people pulled from the wreckage. But most importantly, we want people to know Jesus. Well, the Lord had compassion. And so in order for him to identify with humanity, in order for him to be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, what did he do? He became a man without ceasing to be God. The eternal son of God who spoke this universe into existence. The one who created us came to us and he became a man, yet he was God. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter two and verse number 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of the flesh, he, speaking of Jesus, also himself likewise took part of the same. Jesus Christ became a man and he came to us in order, as verse 14 tells us, that he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Jesus Christ came as a man and defeated Satan. Praise be unto God. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried in a tomb and he rose again on the third day victorious over death and hell in the grave. But in order to do that, he had to become a man. In verse number 17 of Hebrews chapter 2, the Bible tells us this. Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. In other words, he had to become a man in order to redeem us, And in order, as Hebrews 2.17 tells us, that he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. In other words, so that he might identify with our suffering, so that he might understand our dilemma, that he might intercede for us, as Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. In other words, Jesus is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Our weaknesses, our fears, our doubts, our temptations, our trials, our struggles, Jesus identifies with those and he cares. And because he cares, he ever liveth to make intercession for you and I. Praise be unto God. And he is demonstrating his compassion. In Luke chapter 7, in verse number 11, we're introduced to a woman who was a widow. And now her son has died. Her only son has died. They're at the funeral procession when the Lord Jesus encounters them. In verse number 12 of Luke 7, Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. I want you to think about this grieving widow. Her husband was dead. And now her only son, the one who was charged with the responsibility to take care of her, he too was dead. She was grieving, she was heartbroken and her security was gone and the Lord Jesus saw this woman and the Bible said he had compassion on her. He knew the situation and he said unto her, weep not. And he came and touched the bier, that's the coffin, and they that bear him stood still and he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. You see, we serve a God who is a compassionate God who's touched with the feeling of our infirmities and a God who is teaching his people that we ought to have his compassion, that we ought to be filled with a compassionate heart that the Lord Jesus has. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter three in verse number eight, finally be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love his brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. God said he wants his people, his disciples to be filled with his compassion. You see, we need to begin to see as he sees. What were the disciples seeing? They were seeing people coming to Jesus. They had an agenda. They were trying to get from point A to point B. And perhaps they were beginning to view these people as a nuisance. Perhaps they were viewing them as as overwhelming to them. But Jesus said, I want you to see them in their need and I want you to understand that I love them and that I died for them and that I care about them and I want you to do the same. Do you know what the Lord wants for us? He wants you and I to have compassion for the people of Hickory, North Carolina. Yes, he wants us to have compassion for the souls in Turkey that have perished and those who are remaining to be trapped and those who are grieving the loss of a loved one. But God wants you and I to have compassion for the multitudes of needs that are represented in our town, people that you live among, people that you work among. May God give us compassion. In 1 John chapter 3, in verse 17, the Bible said, but whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? If you and I have the love of God in us, and we see the need of our community, we see the need of lost souls, and we don't seek to minister to those needs, how can we say that the love of God is in us? Verse 18 My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In other words, if we're going to say that we love souls, then we're going to have to demonstrate compassion for them. May God give us the eyes of compassion. We see the compassion of Christ compels us to pray. But let me notice a second thought here in verse number 37. The concern of Christ compels us to pray. The heart of God is going out to these people He is moved with compassion. He cares. But there's a problem. And this problem is what he's asking his disciples to pray about. Again in verse 37, then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plenteous. What is he talking about? He's talking about the needs of the people. Just the needs of the people in Galilee were overwhelming. You can multiply Galilee times a hundred, times a thousand, times a million. You look at a population of eight billion people in this world. As he looked upon the harvest, he said, the harvest is plenteous. I want you to know there is no shortage of opportunity to minister today. There is a multitude of people in need and all of those people have a multitude of needs. So the harvest is plenteous. There are opportunities. There are problems. But here's the dilemma. Though the harvest is plenteous, notice what he says in verse 37, the laborers are few. That's a real problem, isn't it? You remember when I'm sure you do. When after the after the COVID shutdown, and you would go to a restaurant and you couldn't be seated? Not because there was no room in the tables in the restaurant, there was plenty. What was the problem? There wasn't enough waiters, waitresses, factories and companies and corporations have been severely limited in their business effort. Why? Because they don't have the people to get the job done. By the way, that's a problem that still plagues our society today. We're still dealing with the aftermath of all of that. You see, it's not that there's a shortage of opportunity. It's that there is a shortage of people who are willing to get to work. And as the Lord surveys the landscape of the harvest field, the souls of men, and the needs of humanity, this is what He says. There's a great problem here. We don't have enough laborers. I want to say to you that at Tabernacle Baptist Church, we have a wonderful opportunity. The fields are white. And the harvest, the harvest is plenteous. There's no shortage. There's no shortage of things that God wants to do in this church. But we have to have laborers. The laborers are few. I want to tell you, this is not the time to be satisfied with just having a seat on the bench and wearing the uniform. This is a time when God's people need to get in the game. God didn't just save us for our own, you know, comfort. He saved us and he's called us to follow him and to serve him. There should be no unemployment among God's people. I'm talking about unemployment in the work of God. So there was a problem. And we have a problem today, do we not? And in order for the problem to be solved, we need workers. And the Lord is concerned here about a shortage of workers. Well, that points us to a third thing, and that is the command of Christ. The command of Christ compels us to pray. What are we going to do in this shortage? Well, the Lord gives us the answer. Look in verse 38. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. Because we have this problem, because there is so great a need and so few hands helping to meet this need, here's the, here's the solution. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. What is Jesus doing? He's teaching his disciples to pray. What is it that we like to do when we see a problem? Well, a lot of people like to just say, we got to do something about this. And we get active. And by the way, I'm, I'm asking you to get active. But we can't get active until we have first prayed. You see, we might rush into the field, but God says to us, don't do that. He said, pray ye, therefore the Lord of the harvest. And then as we pray, we have to trust that God is going to send laborers. You see, when we just rush in and we just try to occupy ourselves with all forms of activity, and that's a tendency that some of us have, what we are saying in our action is that we're depending upon ourselves, that this whole thing depends on us, and we got to get rolling. And we do need to get rolling. But when we pause and pray and say, Lord, wait a minute. This is a great need. We need you to send laborers in your harvest. What we are doing is not declaring our dependence upon ourselves. In fact, we're doing the opposite. We are declaring our dependence upon God. What we're saying is, Lord, this is your harvest. It's not ours, it's yours. And you know this field and you know where the workers need to be and you know what area of the field I need to be in. And so Lord, I'm asking you today to send forth laborers into your harvest. And I want you to know that God is much wiser and much more keenly aware of the need than we are. So yes, I I want us to get in the field But before we get in the field, we got to learn to pray. This is the disciples' prayer. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You see, the need is critical. And so prayer must become an urgent matter for the church. Someone who serves on a mission board that a number of us would have heard about and know about and a mission board that has missionaries that we support. Uh, Someone who serves on uh, the board of directors in that mission board said recently, and I heard him in, in the audience he was with, I heard him say this, that a director of a particular board has said that they have more money than they've had in years, but they have fewer missionaries than they've had in years. What do we need to do? We need to pray the Lord of the harvest. I thought about the people of Turkey and what they need. They need missionaries to carry the message of the gospel. They they need supplies and there are organizations, Christian organizations that are going to their aid and helping them. and, And we need to be a part of that effort, no doubt about that. But the greatest thing that we need to pray for Turkey is that God would send laborers into Turkey. All across our world. My friend Stephen Trail, who is in heaven, wrote a piece that was published in his homegoing service bulletin. It was entitled When I Die in the Middle East. He had gone there to reach. Arabic speaking people and he gave his life in that purpose and his prayer was that God would send forth laborers into that particular field of harvest. I believe God is going to answer that prayer, don't you? You see the need is urgent and the way to address the need is through prayer. I want you to think about our own community. I was talking with Brian Odom this week about some things in our church and some needs that we have. Recently, in our, our Wednesday evening discipleship groups, we started a grief share class. I've heard nothing but good reports from that grief share class. In fact, I've heard that people that really didn't think they needed to go and actually decided to go at the encouragement of another has found out that they're glad they went. They didn't realize how much they needed that. You know, we live in a world that is in great need and most of the people in this world don't realize the need they have. Through that ministry, we've been able to minister to those who are grieving. And here's our prayer for that ministry. that Through that ministry, our church would reach out to those in our city and our community who are grieving and encourage them. There are families that are breaking up. We need an army of people who will get some training in biblical counseling and help families. There are people going through divorce who need encouragement and need help. There are people who are bound to drugs and alcohol and other things that they're addicted to. And they need help. They need encouragement. Would to God that we would be a church that would have compassion on the people in this community and do all that we can to help them. By the way, Paul wrote to the church and he said, and such were some of you. And by the way, Those old struggles still remain. And only by the grace of God can we overcome them. There are people in our city who are dealing with depression, anxiety, thoughts of suicide. There are ministries that need staffing in this church. If a choir is going to sing, you've got to have singers. If a nursery is going to operate, you've got to have nursery workers. If you're going to have a children's ministry and a bus ministry, if you're going to have a Spanish-speaking ministry, you have to have workers. And I want you to know the needs of this city are not decreasing. They're increasing. The harvest is plenteous. I said to you last week we just celebrated a one-year anniversary And we're going to do a little bit more formal way in our church, but the one-year anniversary of the establishment of our wonderfully made ministry to exceptional children and their families. The establishment of the Hope Allen Center in our Christian school to educate those children as well. Not just on a Sunday morning setting, but a Monday through Friday uh, educational setting. There are multitudes of needs in this community for that type of ministry. Would you pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest? Would you pray the Lord of the harvest that he would touch the hearts of people to begin to serve and reach out to people who are grieving and people who are struggling with their marriage and people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol? That God would enable us and empower us and use us to reach them? Would you begin to pray that way? Would you begin to pray for the ministry of Tabernacle Christian School? Because I want you to know there are numbers of families who have their children in our school who have great needs. The children in our school have great needs. A Christian school is not a place for perfect little saints to go and and get an education, they're not perfect little saints. They're little sinners who need Jesus. And we need to love them. And we need to pray for them. This is what's on the heart of God. He said, Wait a minute, wait a minute. There's something I need to tell you. There's something I need you to do. I need you to pray. well, Lord, I got a lot of prayer requests. Wait a minute. We'll get to those. I need you to pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. <clears throat> oh, that we would begin to pray like that. I think if we begin to pray like that, we would see God do some great things. Oh, we're singing already. I know that. But there's more that God wants to do. More. More that God wants to do. And if it's going to get done, then He must send laborers. You see, in conclusion, when we begin to pray this prayer, Christ's compassion will be formed in us. If I start praying for the harvest, it's going to make me aware of the harvest. I'm not going to pass over the people at the grocery store that I normally pass over or my neighbor. I'm not going to look at disdain, look with disdain and contempt at people who are not like me. No, I'm going to begin to see as Christ sees with compassion. You see, as we pray, Christ's compassion is formed in us. As we pray, Christ's concern becomes our concern. If I'm going to pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth labors in his harvest, then I'm going to get concerned about the shortage. I'm I'm going to start getting aware of what the needs are. I might even say, Brian Odom, uh, tell me what I can do here. Is there a bus route that needs help? Do you need drivers on Sunday? Can I help in the nursery? What can I do? Andrew, can I get involved in the choir? What can I do? What shut-ins live near me that I could visit? What area of of town do you need somebody to canvas and knock on doors and hand out essential books? what can I do? You see, when I begin to pray for the harvest, God's concern becomes my concern. And then when I begin to pray for the harvest, Christ's command will be carried out in my life because I'll be obedient to him in prayer and because when I start to pray... Then I'm going to have to start asking myself, what am I doing? What am I doing? You know, we live in a world and we live in a time where people are very reluctant to commit to anything, they're afraid to get involved, they're afraid to get engaged. There's coming a time when we're all going to stand before the Lord Jesus and we're given account for our stewardship as Christians. Let me put it this way, for our followership. And the fear we'll have in that moment if we've neglected his purposes will be far greater than any fear we have of making a commitment to follow Jesus. May the Lord help us. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest. That's the disciples' prayer. Let's learn to pray that prayer. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.